This podcast is made possible by Workiva and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Tom Graney, the CFO at Ironwood Pharmaceuticals, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we explore C-suite renovations inside the middle market when we speak to three finance leaders that were hired from the outside. The decision to add a C-suite member is never easy. And accepting a C-suite position, in the words of one of our guests, is never a no-brainer. We ask our CFOs to explain their company's offerings, and then we ask them what type of role they wanted to create for themselves when they first joined the C-suite. Three different industries, three different companies, three different CFOs. After these words from our sponsor. Workiva transforms the way people work through connected reporting and compliance. The facts are, a majority of senior accounting and finance professionals say their financial reporting involves a huge amount of manual work and is inherently error-prone, leading to risk. Risk that's intensified by new business complexities and the changing business climate. Linked data elements, numbers, narrative, and calculations together everywhere you use them. When you change data at the source, it's changed at the destination. Gaining trust in your data and processes is that simple. Join over 3,500 customers who enjoy the benefits of using Workiva by connecting their organizations from record to report. Visit workiva.com slash CFO. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. The three finance leaders you'll be hearing from today represent rather different areas of business. First, Spreadfast. It's a technology firm specializing in social media management. Next, C2 Education, a company specializing in test prep. Finally, Modernizing Medicine, a firm specializing in electronic medical assistance. The first C-suite executive you'll be hearing from is Lynn Atchison, CFO of Spreadfast, a tech firm based in Austin, Texas. We were pleased to catch up with Lynn. As you'll learn, she was only a few months into the CFO role at the time we spoke with her. I begin by asking Lynn to provide an overview of the first of the firm's competition today. Here's Lynn. So the, the competition for SpreadFast, there really aren't very many competitors in this space. This is a very, very new space. I think the whole market out there is trying to figure out what to do with social media. So what there is is a, a whole bunch of small players that, that are out there um, you know, trying, you know, working with small companies, giving them some point solutions. But we truly are an enterprise platform, and so so we are helping larger businesses look at social media from ver- from a lot of different angles. Um, there's some larger players doing that. There's there's one particular player 
um, sprinkler that, that, is, that we, we see in our deals and competition, but there really isn't too much out there right now. And, and in terms of our competitive advantage, we've definitely selected a best of breed approach for our software platform. So we surround ourselves with, with the best partners for the pieces of the platform that we don't do. And so therefore the customers or the prospects that we are selling into, um, they're making a decision about whether they want to buy all in one or whether they want to buy a best of breed platform with, um, with a suite of partners around that. So how have you organized uh, your team or what changes are you likely to make to your team in light of the uh, growth that's now anticipated? The team was solid when I got here and it had solid systems and, and, and great people. And so there really hasn't been very much change at all there. I, I would say that, that there's been a handful of people that I rearranged what they have been responsible for. So with my eye towards scalability and, you know, if I ask the question, what are you doing today that you ex- fully expect your role should still be doing two years from now, well, then that's fine. We should keep doing that. But, if, but I think that there was still a very strong sense of entrepreneurism in our organization and because of that I didn't feel like everybody was quite doing the right things um, within the right organization so I I made a few um, changes around the edges is really all I needed to do to get people focused on what is the reporting we need what is it the what are the dashboards that we need what are the metrics that we need Um, are we organized to scale over the next two years and I, I found that if you ask the question um, are, are, is what you're doing today sustainable for two years without adding headcount? If people say, sure, yeah, then you figure they've got a good scalable business. If they say, oh no, every six months we need to hire a new person because we're growing so fast, then I would say to them, well, then maybe you don't have a scalable process yet or system yet, and maybe this is an area we should look to build in some automation. So, so far, I've only been here for two months, but um, been happy with the team, still making some tweaks, but believe we're positioned um, to do all the right things. Our next finance leader is Marty Moore, CFO of C2 Education. Here I am teeing up a question for Marty. So tell us about the uh, the test prep and tutoring center space. What don't we know about this space, and what sets C2 apart? Yeah, it's a really great model, and that's what got that's what really got me uh, excited about the C2 opportunity because I, like everyone else, when I look at C2, I thought oh, it's a test prep company, and it's it's not a test prep company. It's that's just a very small slice of it. It's actually one way to almost consider it as a family solutions company. Because a family's got, they have children that they want to educate and they want to send to college. And uh, we are part of the solution to get them into the college. And so it's much more than just preparing them to take an ACT or an SAT test. It really starts even earlier than that. Um, I mean, we can go back even through, through the primaries, you know, K through six or whatever. but. Primarily, you know, we're a, you know, we're a middle school through high school. And what we start off with, I mean, first of all, we're a diagnostic kind of company. So we basically, you know, assess where, where a student is on their studies. 
and we look at that assessment uh, as it relates to what their ultimate, uh, uh, where they want to go to school or where their parents want to go, want them to go to school. Uh, we do that whole diagnostic test side, and then we we meet with them and we assess. You know, here's the plan that you need to do if you want to go to this particular university or these particular universities. This is the core the core studies that you'll need to take, and we we tell them that you need to take this AP class or you need to take this particular class, and this is one you need to take, and we'll advise them on that. Then and only then do we start to get them into the tutoring aspect of it, which is personalized tutoring, by the way. It's not a classroom setting, so it's a one-on-one kind of interaction. Um, then and only then do we start doing the, the actual preparation for taking the ACT or the SAT, but also tutoring on subject matters and there are areas where you need to focus particularly on, on this particular subject. And then even when that's all done, then we help them on the college counseling itself, you know, applications, you know, writing, helping them, you know, give them ideas on the write an essay or, you know, evaluate their draft of an essay that they're going to write for their application. So it's really all the way, all the way back from the original idea and assessment all the way through to the college counseling aspect and helping them to get into to, to college. And we've had some really, really good success. We've got some good outcomes that we can sort of point to that says this methodology really sort of works. So what was the plan when you entered uh, C2 and the organization? What was uh, the role that you envisioned for yourself? It's, it's, of course, that's the question everyone's asking me when I, when I started. They said, well, you know, here's a new guy, here's the new CFO, what, what does he expect? And I think it was pretty clear. I, I, you know, basically said, you know, the four things that I would, that I want to do as a CFO here are the same four things I've done at all my other companies. And, you know, and they're not in order of importance except the last one is. But basically, it's, you know, first of all, you have, we have to have transactional excellence. In other words, the blocking and tackling of finance and accounting have to happen. And it has to happen, you know, it's a, it's a given. And so if we have issues there, then we're going to focus on those before we do anything else. So transactional excellence is the first thing. And then, you know, can we close the books on time? Can do, you know, do we pay bills properly? Is payroll handled properly? You know, we, is the financial reporting in the systems? Are they all operating as they should? The, the other one is, then the second one then would be, is I really push financial planning and analysis. I think that's an incredibly important role. It's becoming a more and more important role for uh, ascri- or, uh, aspiring people who want to be CFO to have that FP&A kind of background. I think is even more important now. Um, so be able to not only tell the management team and investors and all your other stakeholders where you've been and where you are today, you've got to be able to tell them where you are going. And that's incredibly important in the private equity world but also in other, you know, certainly other kinds of structures as well, uh, to be able to say this is where we are, and based on the data that I had through my, you know, through the, through my various systems, this is where I believe we are going to go, and that can either be good or bad. It can say, you know, we may have a problem down the road, so we need to act now, or hey, this things are going very well, let's let's reinvest or let's invest more into this particular uh, aspect because. The projections are showing it to be very doing very well. So that FP and that financial plan analysis role, I think, is really important. And then the, the, the third one, then, is sort of the CFO as a strategic advisor. And that's when I was interviewing here with the C2, that was the, the requirement that they that the other C level uh, people here were, were really wanted to partner with the CFO. They said we need a strategic and an operational partner that can help us think through problems, that can help us think through. Um, opportunities and evaluate those opportunities. Should we be in and out of this business or not in this business? Those type of things. So 
it's a very there's a very strong strategic element to and again you read any periodic or any trade magazine about you know for for people who are in the financial field certainly as CFOs that strategic uh, alignment and strategic skill set is becoming more and more and more important matter of fact the days of the of the transactional kind of CFO seem to be seem to be uh, uh, not as important as now that strategic alignment so what are the key metrics you rely on today to reveal how C2 is performing? Well, the first thing I always will look at, of course, we are a company that you know books books uh, new students every day, and so I always one of I always look at our revenue. How is our revenue, uh, or in our cases, would be bookings? How are our bookings doing every day? How are they doing for the month? How are they doing versus obviously the plan? But also, how are we doing a year ago? And that's a, you know we look at that on the aggregate. We look at it by district. We look at it by individual centers. Uh, so we look, you know, throughout the whole stratum. And so that's probably the biggest single one. And then after that, we look at how many tests are being taken. So when I say, when I mentioned diagnostics earlier, we'll have a student could take a diagnostic test. So how many of those tests are being given out? Because that's important because if we're doing a lot of diagnostic tests, there's a good chance that there's going to be some conversion. When we say conversion, that means they're going to sign up. Like, hey, here's your test. Here's where you are. If you do this, this, and this, we think you can get into this particular college or this particular group of colleges. Then they sign up and say, oh, they'll sign up for hours, uh, tutor hours, and that's that's a conversion, and that's something that we watch very closely. And um, that comes, you know, so there's a test, there's a consultant consulting kind of period, and then there's a con- hopefully at that point there's a conversion. So we look at that very closely. We look at that uh, that kind of activity on a daily basis. There's other. There's other uh, metrics as well, but those are the you know revenue and those conversions and leads and tests and all that are, are primarily the, one, the main ones that we look at. Thought leader listeners, don't go anywhere. Karen O'Byrne tells us about entering the C-suite at Modernizing Medicine, after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final finance leader taking a look inside the C-suite for us is Karen O'Byrne, CFO of Modernizing Medicine. You'll hear my voice teeing up a question for Karen. Here I am. So tell us what they're up to. What is the product or service, and, and what is the, the company's competitive edge, really? Sure. So Modernizing Medicine has, a, has actually a suite of products and services that serve the specialty markets in the healthcare space. And so we are in eight specialty markets. 
uh, starting out in dermatology and, and later roll, through the, la- the last five or six years rolling out uh, the seven, seven other specialties. We have a, a, a very innovative cloud-based mobile technology that captures clinical data at the point of care in the hands of providers and can produce information on clinical outcomes in these specialties better than any other product out there for, for so many reasons uh, in, in, in a way that actually saves time for doctors. So on top of that, we now have solutions that, that, that capture operational and financial information and data for the providers that will be critical for them in the, in the new world of MIPS and MACRA and paper for performance uh, for, for lower cost patient-centered care, not just uh, volume. Uh, so the platform is the fundamental suite is EHR, practice management system. We also have RCM services uh, that many of our competitors have, but, but our platform is cloud-based mobile technology that is also native to the iPad and a unique data structure that allows us to capture those, those bits of information that uh, will be incredibly important to these providers. Uh, over time. On top of that, the platform itself was built by doctors. So Michael Sterling is a doctor, still a practicing dermatologist who's one of our founders, but since then we've hired on staff uh, 17 other providers who practice medicine anywhere from one to four days a week and they work here with us the other one to four days a week actually coding the software. So out of the box, our medical, our, our software comes um, built with medical content that's that's coded by these physicians who use it in their practices every day and and it's unique to these specialties. So so these dermatologists or ophthalmologists or orthopedic surgeons who use our product have a product that's unique and built for them by their peers. Uh, and those those physicians who work with us are connecting with our with our customers day in and day out and, and so the network itself helps to build the enhancements in the product as we go. And- what was the type of role at modernizing medicine that you wanted to create for a finance uh, executive like yourself? What was it that uh, attracted you? Well, one of the most interesting and scary things about joining modernizing medicine was that exactly that it was a, it was a tiny company. I was I, I came in when we were about 20 employees, so it wasn't from the from the very beginning, but nearly. Um, and but what was so exciting about the opportunity was exactly that. It was the first time I would ha- I would be able to actually build the finance organization and and contribute to building the company from literally the ground up. So so it wasn't it wasn't a, a situation where I was going and reorganizing or or um, or changing. I could actually build, and I had had significant experience before. Uh, I had a lot of lessons learned through uh, all the growth of the companies that I had been at, and so I felt like I was in a position where I could really see around the corners and prepare for the growth because I'd lived it before. Uh, so that was that was what was exciting to me about coming into the role. Um, and I think secondarily, I had been a CFO and in a leadership position for a long time with with larger organizations where a lot of the work I was doing was facilitating and delegating and 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 I really missed actually producing models and spreadsheets and, and digging my heels in and, and rolling up my sleeves. And 
so it was, it was a way to kind of get back into that again, get back to my roots and, and contribute to, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts. I approached it the same way that investors approach it when VCs are looking at startups to invest in. Uh, how, how strong is the management team? How, how credible is it, is the business plan, uh, and the product? Is it something, uh, that I could feel passionate about? And so when the opportunity came up, uh, first thing I did was come up and meet with Dan Kane and Michael Sterling, who are our founders. And Dan Kane certainly was someone I knew from the education space uh, and had, you know, incredibly well-regarded uh, reputation in that community and, and, and obviously having built built Blackboard uh, to, to the size that it was and to the success that it was. They were the management team, and having met with them and knowing their backgrounds was the, the single biggest factor to me in coming in and making the decision to join a company. Again, it, it mirrors very much how investors come in and look at the, look at the organization. Uh, I fell in love with the product and, and the mission of the company, which is, again, something that is incredibly important because the time and effort and, again, risk that it takes to join a startup – uh, has to be has to be worth it. You, you got to have passion for what you're doing. And so, uh, when I met with them in, in the course of an hour conversation, absolutely fell in love with the idea, with the product, with what they were building. And I knew tech very well, so it was a f- familiar ground to me in that respect. And then, thirdly, they had raised their first angel round and their Series A. So. They had just raised the round of capital and and were, in my opinion, well-capitalized for what they were trying to build. Okay, that was three different CFOs explaining how they found their footing within their organizations after being brought in from the outside I have a bonus for you, which uh, I often like to do for those of you who stick with us until past the 20-minute mark. I have a CEO who explains his decision-making around his CFO hire or rather about the organization and the weight class it was when they determined it was time to uh, make a CFO hire. This is Dan Adamani, CEO of AHEAD which is a technology services and consulting company. Uh, it's, I believe, over $300 million in annual revenues today. Now, Dan uh, makes the point that he believes he should have made the hire sooner, most likely. And uh, it's interesting, and he touches on a number of other hiring-related issues I think you'll find interesting. Here's Dan. end of 15 that um, we we decided to take on a financial backer uh, and it wasn't because um, we necessarily needed the money um, it was more of most of uh, the management team we had at that time was um, with us from the beginning and we all realized uh, that we had a lot to learn and we wanted somebody uh, invested alongside of us so uh, we brought on a financial partner, Court Square Capital, and um, you know the goal is to help us scale uh, and ultimately create new offerings and, and increase our relevance. Uh, and so far, so good. We're about a year and a half in, 
and um, they, they've provided great insight. Uh, we're running a better business because of them. Yes, so we do have a CFO. Um, one of the first things uh, that came about when we partnered with Court Square was how, how do we really run our business better? And prior to that, uh, we were in hyper growth mode. Um, we had some really bright guys uh, in the finance department, but we never had a CFO. Um, you know, everybody kind of grew up out ahead, so we were figuring out things as, as we went along. Um, once we brought a CFO in, my eyes opened to the value of a good CFO. Uh, so I would say, so we brought him in too late. If I was to, to, to act in this movie again, one of the early hires I would bring on would be a talented, experienced CFO. Um, now, there's a cost factor there, so you know you have to figure out when you can do it. But um, they'll not only provide value in, in strategy and direction and structure, but they'll keep you out of trouble. Um, you know, the bigger you get, uh, the more potential there is, and not in, not intentional, but the more potential there is for you to miss something, um, and that can cost you later on. So I would say, you know, the earlier the better. Um, if, if you can do it, I see a lot of startup companies use uh, kind of part-time CFOs. So experienced CFOs will, you know, give maybe 10 hours a week, uh, and they might be serving, you know four to five companies. So you get that experience, but you, you get it at a cheaper rate. And frankly, you don't need a full-time CFO as, as you're, you're smaller and scaling. You know, a, a, a good controller with the backing of some experience would probably be enough. And then, you know, in time, you bring that person on or a different person on full-time. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.